0: Greetings. You should be in this breakout session if, number one, the Lord and your heart is tugging you towards medical missions, number two, you want to learn ways to prepare yourself for missions, and number three, You're interested about tools and ministries that can help you realize your calling. If you answered yes to any of these three questions, you are in the right place. My name's Randy Carey, and I've been around missions and medicine for 20 years. Alongside me is Dr. Doug Lindberg, who is a missionary, a physician. He's married to a physician, and he's a medicine grant recipient So I don't think you could have two more qualified individuals share with you on this topic on how to go soon and get your educational loans paid than us. You can see this, uh, you can read this quote yourself. And while you're reading it, I want to share with you some comments. uh, Dr. Cynthia Hale is a medical missionary, was for 30 years to Nepal. She and her husband, Tom, helped get medicine on the map by traveling around the United States with the founder, Dr. David Papazian. But she wrote something that I captured when I went to a student session for medical students that Cynthia was addressing. And you have it in the handouts here, um, along with a number of other resources. I mentioned in that handout some books by Dr. Tom Hale. He is a very engaging writer, he's funny, and he's very informative. He wrote three books. Again, I've written them on my handout sheet to you. One of the titles is called Don't Let the Goats Eat the Loquat Trees. Second book is On the Far Side of League Mountain. The Adventures of an American Family in Nepal. And the third book he wrote is On Being a Missionary, all resources I would recommend you read. You know, the missions landscape over the last decade has changed. Our world's becoming a more dangerous place. There is more hostility towards Christians around the world and there's more anti-Americanism. It's growing in this world. And all of these three factors are a backdrop to a growing demand for health care. And of course, our Lord is calling more people to go into medical missions. So medicine is seeing firsthand that the door is closing for christians to get into closed countries but we believe that one of the most effective ways to do this is to uh, use medical missions to get access to these closed countries case in point i mentored a young man who was at wheaton college who was pre-med he after completing his undergraduate work at Wheaton, went to medical school, and then he and his wife felt called to go to Afghanistan. So this local organization that was sending him there worked very hard to get him a visa. They had been in that country for over 100 years, yet despite their best efforts, they could not get this couple a visa. So this young man and his wife ended up going to another country. They ended up being evacuated from there because of unrest and ended up serving in a third country. So, so much for thinking you know where you're going to go for medical missions. Now, we, we, at, we at Medicine love this picture because they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And in this photo, I like to ask the question, okay, which one's the MedSend grant recipient? All kidding aside, uh, this woman who was a PA went to serve in the Middle East, and she taught these women some basic healthcare for women. They earned a certificate, and now these women were going to their villages to share the things that this woman had taught them. That's why they have the certificate. But More importantly, some women, not all, but some would ask her, you know, what on earth are you doing here in the Middle East? And she would reply, because the love of God compels me to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. And that's why I'm here. And in fact, some women did come to know the Lord. I'm going to introduce to you Doug quickly. Doug's going to share with you a short story about his experience in going into medical missions, and then I'll finish what I have to share.
1: Doug? Thank you, Randy. Uh, my name's Doug Lindbergh. And in this picture is the rest of my family. Ruth is in uh, the back right there. And my kids, Maddie and James, are, are there with me as well. They're 11 and 8 years old. And this is a picture of us rafting on the gallatin river this summer in montana and i chose this photo because i think it represents a lot of what life is like as a medical missionary it's exciting and you kind of don't know what's around the corner but um, it's a wonderful way to to live your life and step into the calling that god's given you guys so i'm excited for those of you who are listening to this and considering uh, the lord's plan on your life and and following his his lead into missions work Uh, so we were grant recipients from 2009 to 2014. We worked in Nepal at a, uh, 40 bed mission hospital in the far western part of the country called HDCS team hospital in Nepal. Uh, I served as the medical director, Ruth worked there part time and, uh, held down the home front and, uh, James was born here, but during our time in Nepal and Maddie was about three months old when we initially moved over there. So we served there for four years and Medsend was a huge blessing for us to be able to to go there and make that possible when when we did go. Um, And we came back here for what was supposed to be a one-year home assignment. And within a few months of our arriving home, my father-in-law had a ruptured cerebral aneurysm. Uh, the hospital was nationalized, and then Ruth was diagnosed with stage four carcinoma of unknown primary that later was discovered to be endometrial cancer. So all those factors made it so we needed to stay home uh, here in the U.S. And uh, I've been working in the urgent care department for pro care in Milwaukee, and uh, had Ruth and I have been praying about what it will look like for us to get involved vocationally with missions again, and got a phone call this past February from Mike Chop, the CEO of CMDA about considering this position, uh, which I now have taken on uh, as the director for S- the Center for Advancing Healthcare Mission. So I'm excited to be in that role, and I would love to interact with you in that capacity uh, but today we'll be uh, talking about um, uh, this this issue of student loans, and Randy will continue his presentation now on, on the MedSend angle, and then later I'll pick up uh, with the government angle with the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. So I'll talk to you more later.
0: Thank you, Doug, for sharing that story. Now I have some questions for you. Can you think of a ministry that one has access to just about every country in the world, regardless of their religious affinity? By the way, that's Mike Ganey, surgeon serving in Tenwick. Question number two Can you think of a ministry that has the best trained individuals in the world prepared and eager to go? That happens to be this photo. The woman in this photo is Dr. Catherine Hodge, who's serving in Malawi. She's been there for seven years. Can you think of a ministry that you see immediate kingdom impact when the services are performed? We like to ask the question, how long does it take a church planner to get a church going in a difficult to reach community or a closed country? Typically, it takes five years or longer. It's very difficult to do. But when you offer medical care to a community, sometimes the line begins the day before. People walk for days to come see an American healthcare professional because they distinguish themselves with their training and the uh, care that they give that sets them apart from the rest. In this picture, it's Dr. Jared Brockington who is serving in Malawi. So the World Health Organization says there's 1.5 billion that are medically underserved. The Joshua Project says there's little over 3 billion people that are unreached. And according to the Voice of the Martyrs, there's a little over 3 billion that are living in closed countries. So where is medicine hoping people will go and serve? We're hoping they'll go to this group of people that in this Venn diagram intersect these three circles. These are where our grant recipients are going and we're hoping they'll go. So what does MedSIN do? We, ena- we enable healthcare providers and healthcare workers like yourself to work where God is called, unencumbered by educational debt, to further the pro- proclamation of the good news. on the next couple of slides that I'm going to show you, they're examples of recent grant recipients. What I hope that you will see is where they're going, their profession, and that I will whet your appetite as you consider the potential for medical missions. I've given you a handout that lists some additional examples. So just follow along with me as I show you a couple of people. We release between 40 and 50 healthcare professionals a year. And maybe, just maybe, you'll be one of them in the future. Here's Joshua, a PA, serving in the Middle East. Of course, we don't show his picture because he's going to a closed country and we want to protect his identity, nor is it his real name. Here is Jessie, who is a physician serving in Mexico with her husband, and you'll see him on the next slide, with Willie, who is serving in a very remote area of Mexico. Both physicians. Gina, again not a real name, serving in Central Asia. Joshua is a PA in the United Kingdom. He's one of the first that I've seen in Europe. Nathan is serving at Rift Valley Academy as a counselor. Philip is a nurse practitioner serving here in Tennessee. And finally, Chris Shell is a PA serving in Ethiopia. So I just wanted to give you a feel for these individuals. You can see it in a handout that I've enclosed, the, where people are going. Just get you an idea of what's going on. And this next slide is, this is the problem that MedSend has solved. For medical missionaries anyway. The educational debt in America continues to grow quite quickly. And educational loans is the second most common obstacle to young people going into ministry. Do You know what the number one obstacle is that's keeping people from going into missions, at least medical missions. The number one obstacle is family. And our Lord has something to say about that in Luke 14, 26. But I'll let you look look that up. This is kind of our life verse if the ministry were to have one. Jesus is going to all the villages. You can read it. But the last part is, but the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the fields. That is what MedSend is doing responding to the command of sending out workers into the fields. According to World Watch List in 2019, there are now 11 countries listed in extreme persecution for Christians. Just five years ago, there was only one country listed, and that was North Korea, but there now are 11. And countries that have very high persecution, you can see numbers 12 through 25. That really augments what I said earlier about the world stage for medical missions is becoming more dangerous. About 4 in 10 of our grants, these individuals are going to the 1040 window or to these hard places. Where are they going? These numbers are always changing, but it gives you a feel that about half of our grants, we do have a little over 200 on the field, about half are in Africa, a quarter are in Asia. And then the others are all over the world. But I did want you to note that we have about 10% of our grants are people who are serving in the inner cities here in America. You saw one of those individuals that I listed earlier going to Tennessee. Here's another picture that's worth a thousand words. This woman is serving in Mali. When I told a short story, as I told um, my brother-in-law who works in the State Department in DC that I was going on a short term missions trip to Malawi and he quickly responded, no, you're not. And I said, yeah, it's, I'm going to Malawi to do a show. He says, no, you're not. Oh, he said, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I thought you said Mali. I wouldn't let you go to Mali. It's way too dangerous for Americans. And yet we have one of our grant recipients serving there. What else I like? The other things I like about this picture is you see the women on the right there who are looking at this person. The world's watching what health professionals are doing. This woman is serving the least of these. She's serving in a difficult place. And she's showing the compassion of Jesus Christ. That makes those in this community ask. What on earth are you doing here? And you know the response because of the love of Jesus Christ. Pushes out and. To share the good news what kinds of professions does medicine give grants to? You can see the list yourself, but about just a little less than half are physicians and a quarter are nurses. And then we have, and I want you to note that there are PAs, public health, veterinarians, pharmacists, ocup- occupational therapists, dentists, all those that are certified health professionals. Okay, based on this information, what are your next steps? Well, you can apply for a grant. We recommend that you do it 18 months prior to the time that you want to depart. This is listed in your resources on how to do it. It's on our website. We expect you to be preparing yourself for missions. One is to be fiscally responsible, minimize debt. And two, be actively engaged in the work that you hope to do now serving in your church, serving the poor. You should also be identifying ministries that you're considering joining. And then once you're approved, MedSend will begin making your monthly payments once you're full-time. And we and this is something new. We're now assigning you a MedSend alumni who will be your mentor for two years to just encourage you to come alongside you So if you're interested in medical missions, our encouragement is that you'd start living a missionary lifestyle now. Here are some words of wisdom that has been passed on from generation to generation. And I'll just share with you rather briefly. But before I do that, one of the questions I'm often asked is, what does the medicine board look for in a candidate? Well, I can list four things that I think you should consider. One, as they look at a candidate, they ask, does he or she demonstrate a calling to missions? How can he or she demonstrate that calling? Second thing they look for, is he or she doing the work in a community, serving the poor now? In other words, do they know what they're getting into and have they started working in that particular area? Number three, has he or she been preparing themselves for missions? i.e. not accumulating a lot of stuff, a lot of debt. Are they becoming nimble? And then finally, does he or she life equal their talk? Does their walk equal their talk? So that's kind of what the board looks for. Let me go through these sayings rather quickly. They use things up, wear things out, make things do or do without, a famous missionary expression. Missionaries have a conserver mentality rather than a consumer mentality. Missionaries don't shop. They buy with a list of needs and don't buy anything by impulse. Shopping leads to buying things you don't really need. Missionaries maintain the spiritual discipline of giving to God, but not with borrowed money. Sometimes they can give only by self-denial, giving up necessity in order to give back to God. So MedSend works with over 50 sending organizations. We call them associates. Here is a list of the most active associates that we have right now that I thought you would like to see. These organizations, the 50 that we have on our website, you have to go with one of the 50. You just can't go with anybody. They have to be one of our associates. And that is listed on our website. But I want you to see who are the most active are. So what is God telling you through all of this? Here's what I hope you to take away, that we're here to help you, that God continues to call people like you to go. You are no doubt asking yourself, are you willing to go for forgoing all that the US has to offer? To serve the poor in the name of Christ. The rewards are out of this world. So you're either a giver or a goer, Which one are you? You can find these resources in your handout. I'm hoping you'll be part of the next class that goes. This too is found in your handout. Thanks for hearing what I have to say about medical missions and hopefully you've gained some interest and ideas on how you can be sent by the Lord into missions. I'm going to let Doug take it from here and share with you some additional insights about government loans and how we can help you realize your call. Thanks for the opportunity to share with you.
1: Again, Randy, thanks for handing it back over here. Uh, Doug Lindberg back with you uh, to discuss income-based repayment, public service loan forgiveness, and you. So let's get started without further ado. Uh, so some disclaimers here, the the political climate may shift this discussion. Uh, I'm recording this before the election, so I don't know what happened. But there it, it kind of doesn't matter because there's adjustments on the table to this program from both political parties. Uh, so exactly where it's going to land is hard to predict. Um, so you, you do wanna keep informed of developments if you plan to take advantage of these programs. They've, they've been around for a while, uh, but um, they, they have not had a great track record. It's, it's been very poor, frankly speaking. Um, some, somewhere around 99% of the people who have submitted applications for loan forgiveness under this program have been rejected. And that's for a variety of reasons. Um, a lot of them are administrative, and so there are there are things in the works to fix this. And so I'm optimistic that if things remain on the table for people who are in your situation, that hopefully it will be in a lot better situation than we are now. Uh, but it certainly is worth inserting a disclaimer here uh, before we before we get started that this is not. Um, has not been a slam dunk up to this point for for people having an easy path to, to loan forgiveness. But for reasons that we'll get into here, I think it's still worth paying attention to. Um, so if you serve as a medical missionary, the federal government can pay off a large percentage of your student loans. Money is freed up for other ministry when you do that. So be it for you or for donors, for MedSend, um, whomever. Uh, it also creates, honestly, a financial incentive to stay on the field because you have significantly lower uh, monthly payments if you are on the field with a missionary salary compared to what your monthly payment would be if you were back here. So there's there's that as well. Um, so as Homer would say, dope, uh, Ruth and I, uh, by by way of personal testimony, here. uh, Both graduated from medical school back in 2003 in the stone age. Uh, At that point, we had together about $280,000 of combined medical school debt. That was all grad school debt, nothing under undergrad or credit cards or anything like that. Um, So had we jumped right into public service loan forgiveness and income based repayment, uh, ballpark here, we could have saved MedSEN somewhere in the range of about $40,000 and ourselves $120,000 and finished up uh, our, our payments a few years ago. And instead, here we sit, three years to go on our loans and a lot to repay because we were late to the party in terms of of joining uh, and, and starting to take advantage of PSLF. So. Um, what can $120,000 get you these days, which which we missed out on because of this mistake. So it can buy you 1,152,000 eggs. It can buy you a median priced home in Millbourne, Pennsylvania, shout out to any of you from Millburn. And uh, it could importantly to you all, uh, cover the student conference registration fee f- uh, for this conference for about 2,000 students, um, or, the annual budget for many mission hospitals. So <clears throat> obviously we'd rather have another crack at this and uh, apply that 120 grand in a different way, but um, hopefully hopefully, hearing this presentation can help you uh, avoid that mistake if you decide it's the, the right move for you. So the nuts and bolts of public service loan forgiveness. Um, getting into some details here, the program started back in October of 2007 It applies to federal student loans, so this it's a direct loan program and there are some subsets the feel and Perkins loans are eligible if they're consolidated into the direct loan program. Uh, So if you're looking at this for yourself, it would again require some more research, Uh, but most loans do qualify uh, taken out for for uh, things like med school Uh, it does require you to be engaged in full time work which they define as 30 hours a week. Uh, with a U.S.-based nonprofit organization or U.S. government entity. So this does not require you to be physically based in the U.S. Again, our time in Nepal um, was was eligible, but the um, organization that's employing you does need to be a U.S.-based nonprofit. It, this also applies for people who work for the government, like who are librarians or teachers, and so it applies to them as well. But for our purposes, we're kind of more focused on mission agencies. So. Um, hours spent proselytizing as they as they say do not count um so these are kind of clinical hours or health community health type stuff administration so generally speaking a a medical missionary isn't going to have too much trouble checking the box for 30 hours a week and you you are able to combine multiple employers so um that's that's an option as well uh, so you must make 120 qualifying on time payments towards your student loan to qualify for loan forgiveness under this program. They do not need to be consecutive uh, payments. So if it's a situation where you're, you're making qualifying payments for a number of years, and then you take time off because you have a baby or you step away from work for whatever reason, um, or, uh, you are a f- full-time pastor or something like that. And you, and then you jump back in. Uh, you can still uh, benefit from the program. Uh, again, they do need to be consolidated, these loans into the direct loan program, which actually is not a bad thing. It's a competitive interest rate. And so that's just the, the way the program is administered. Uh, and then any balance remaining after 120 qualifying payments is eligible for complete forgiveness being wiped off the books. Um, so it's important to note that it's this needs to be combined with income based repayment in order to be useful, because if you're just making full payments on a 10 year schedule, loan repayment schedule, then it's not going to do you much good. But with income based repayment, which we'll talk about later, it does uh, make those 120 qualifying payments significantly less than they would be if you were uh, paying them on just a 10 year schedule. Um, And just to keep your attention because I know this can get a little dry, uh, so if you have three years on a resident salary, seven years on a, mission sal- a missionary salary, so then 10 years have gone by, during that time you can pay a small or even a zero monthly payment over 10 years and the outstanding balance is eligible for, for PSLF forgiveness. So that is a reason to pay attention, right? Um So employer certification is required for public service loan forgiveness. Uh, So to complete or to avoid confusion down the road, it's useful to complete this annually. I just did this with my employer and it required a little back and forth Uh, this year. It hasn't before, uh, but to avoid that in the end and avoid any surprises, it's good to just do a certification annually, even if you haven't changed jobs, and particularly if you have. Uh, And a note for tax planners who are thinking, hmm, is this going to be a windfall tax down the road? It is not. So when your loan is forgiven through this program, any remaining balance is not counted as income. It is not taxable. Um, So now onto this income-based repayment bit. Again, an important part of of the program here. This started back in 2009. It captured monthly loan repayment and the calculations based on your income from the prior year. Uh, But alternative documentation can be filed. So if you have gone from an attending physician and then have gone to the field as a missionary, and your income has been reduced by 75%, they they if you uh, submit documentation of that, they can adjust that uh, monthly payment. Um, also depends on family size. That's the other way that's the other thing that they take into account. It is not based on the total amount borrowed or on your interest rate. It's based on um, based on again your income and family size. Uh, it does require annual recertification. so you have to uh, again go through the process of letting them know what your what your income is as they as they calculate what your what your max payment would be. Um, so the monthly repayment is under income-based repayment is no more than 10% of your discretionary income. And that's defined as the difference between the adjusted gross income and 150% of the federal poverty line, which for the sake of, um, just, uh, knowing where that's at, it'd be back in 2000 or in 2020 for a family of four, that's $39,300. So if you were earning, that or less, then your qualifying monthly payment is, is zero. If you're in and you know that, take into account your tithe and any any deductions that you have. So it's not that far off from where a, a missionary salary would be, believe it or not. And so um, it, it can be a, a minimal or again, even zero payment for Ruth and I for for our first year, it actually we actually did have a zero payment. So and, and those counted as qualifying qualifying payments towards our 120. Um, if you no longer qualify for IBR or if you miss annual recertification, the interest is capitalized, so it's added to the loan balance. That's not the end of the world. Um, again, you're you're paying off what what you would have owed any owed anyways, but uh, that's important to note. Um, So as far as what loans are eligible for for income based repayment, it's similar to uh, the public service loan forgiveness criteria. Um, And in IBR, without PSLF, any outstanding balance, if if you've been participating in this program for 20 years, it's forgiven. But since we're talking about this in conjunction with PSLF, where we want things gone after 10 years, it's that's not particularly applicable part of the program. So um, this is a busy slide, but it's an important one uh, to kind of help you weigh the potential catches because usually anything that seems too good to be true probably is. Um, So potential catch, uh, what if the feds pull the plug on on the PSLF, as we discussed that possibility at the beginning and worst case scenario, if they pull the plug and don't replace it with anything, you have to pay off your whole loan. And you've been incurring a bit of extra interest and prolonging your repayment by using income-based repayment, but you're not paying back money that you hadn't borrowed anyway. There aren't penalties involved. Um, it's just you know you're you're drawing out your repayment period a little more than perhaps you would have otherwise. Um, another potential catch: you come back from working overseas and start making too much to qualify for income-based repayment, which is what happened to Ruth and I. Uh, but at that point, you just resume your full monthly payments based on a 10-year repayment term. However, every monthly qualifying payment that you made that was a reduced payment still qualifies, as do the payments that you're making then. So in the end, you're still going to save money because you're not going to be paying back the full sum of the loan because of the money you saved while you were making reduced payments uh, towards your 120 uh payments to towards the pslf um another potential catch you come back from working overseas and don't go back to work in the united states or you stop working full-time while you're overseas so if that's the case you can still qualify for ibr if you're single or or married filing separately that is an important caveat there, you have to do do a some some uh, gymnastics with your tax filings in terms of not filing jointly, but not a huge deal, just use an accountant. Um, however, while not working, you are not progressing towards those 120. Um, however, like I said before, if you do go back to full time work at 30 hours a week, uh, your prior qualifying payments, and then those that you make uh, moving forward all count towards 120. So there can be a gap there, it can mean you pay a little more in terms of um, the the full amount that you're that you're paying prior to hitting that magic 120 number but um, it still will save you money um so in my mind the worst case scenario is that first row uh since it's kind of out of your control uh with uh, the the rules changing and i don't know i have no no idea what's going to happen with this you know if they would grandfather in people who had student loans already and phase the programs out over time, or if it would be effective immediately, or how they will um, improve or change or uh, or alter these programs. But um, there's no guarantees. And so this this could go away. However, um, again, the worst case scenario is that you just haven't been paying it off as, as quick as you may have otherwise been uh, because you're using IBR and um, you have to pay your whole loan off. So not the end of the world, it's not a financial penalty, it's just disappointing. Um, so to to put some, some legs on this, I'm gonna give you some real world examples with some numbers so you can kind of get a feel for it. And these are simplified, kind of rounded off sort of numbers and simplified life circumstances too. But um, again, just kind of gives you a feel. So we'll look at Dr. Phil first, who is graduating from med school this fall. Way to go, Phil. He has 160 grand in debt, and he plans to do a surgical residency, but after that, he's unsure if he's going to pursue medical missions or work for a few years as an attending here in the States before going overseas. What should Dr. Phil do? So I'm going to make a few assumptions with Phil that his interest rate on his loan is about four and a half percent. That'll make about 60 grand a year during his five-year residency, and then once he's a missionary, he would be uh, pulling in somewhere in the $45,000 a year area. And then, um, if he were to stay in the U S uh, per my quick Google search, uh, $350,000 would be about what he could expect to earn, give or take. And Phil will stay single. Um, so missionary Phil without interest-based repayment or income-based repayment. If he's paying back on a 10 year turn, that 160 grand, he'd be paying $1,658 per month. With IBR, uh, during residency and his $60,000 a year salary, he'd be paying about $340 a month. And uh, during his missionary years, somewhere in the $180 a month range on his $45,000 a year salary. So if you add all that up, um, without income based repayment over over 10 years at that interest rate with $160,000 borrowed, he would pay back almost $200,000 with IBR 31,200 for a savings of almost $168,000. That's a lot of eggs or a lot of student registrations to GMHC, right. Uh, So non missionary fill, um, again, without IBR 1658 a month, So during residency, it's still a huge savings. You know, he's, he's only going to pay back about $20,000 during his residency and save, um, over $1,300 a month. And then, um, after residency, his interest is going to get capitalized. So he'll have higher payments for about five years, but the balance is still forgiven at 10 years of qualifying payments. So he'll be paying about 200 or $2,000 per month for those last five years which goes up to 120 grand and add that to the 20,400 that he paid during residency, you're, you're just north of $140,000. So he's still gonna save almost $60,000 by doing this. So because of that decrease, that, that relatively low earning um, during residency compared to post residency, really for any resident um, no matter what field you're in but particularly if you're doing a a residency and fellowship where you're going to be in training for a while this just makes sense to do uh, from a financial standpoint even if you're not going into missions but especially if you are Um, so let's look at jenna uh, who has 200k in federal student loans at four percent interest she got a little better rate than phil um, she's married with two kids. She's planning on a three-year family practice residency followed by a missions career. And we're just going to simplify this and not have multiple salary ranges and just say she earns 60k per year moving forward. So on a non-income based repayment uh, basis, she'd be paying over 2,200 a month for almost 200 or over 247,000 total. A 10-year IBR uh would be $193 a month would be qu- qualifying payments for her uh, so just north of $23,000 total Jenna would save $224,000 by participating in this program and that's compliments of the federal government that's a huge amount of money um so my opinion in this is Bottom line, if you're going to be a medical missionary, or even if you're planning on doing residency and then staying here, there are only a couple reasons not to consider income-based repayment and public service loan forgiveness. One is if you're not willing to take the time and effort to jump through the hoops that are involved, which admittedly are not that fun to deal with, and and there is administrative burden, but um, so that's one reason. Uh, Another is you just have zero confidence that the feds will still have this program in place in 10 years or anything like it. So again, it may not look like it looks now, it may completely be gone, but it could be something that's a little different from what we're looking at now. But if you have zero faith in that, then don't bother. Um, Or if you are planning a short amount of time overseas and don't want the shorter repayment window when you return to practice in the US. Um, So you you can draw your student loans out over 30 years not with this program but if if you want to you know just say okay i'm going to pay on a graduated repayment schedule and pay it over 30 years and and that's how i'm going to do it and and your student loans do go away if you die and so it's it's not a completely ridiculous approach but um at the same time you know, paying it off more quickly means you're going to pay significantly less on that loan over the life of the loan compared to if you draw it out and are paying interest for all those years. So um, having the shorter repayment window, if you're going to be here in the U.S. and having higher earnings is is not a bad move. So but some people might might disagree. there. Um, so medicine still fits for all of this. So. Um, they'll pay that reduced monthly income-based repayment. If you're a grant recipient, um, if you decide that the IBR PSLF option is not for you, MedSEN is, is still an option. Um, so a huge plug for MedSEN. They were a a tremendous blessing to us. Um, but again, I mean, if you think of this, if, if your payments are being reduced fivefold or more, uh, by going through this program, then. If, if we all did this then MedSend could fund five times as many grant recipients and and deploy those recess resources very strategically um, if we take advantage of this program uh, with more regularity so, um, i'll have these sources in the handouts that i send you uh, as to as to how i came to this um, and i appreciate your your time and attention i'm certainly more than happy to make myself available shoot an email or, or contact me and I'm happy to continue the dialogue. So thank you very much.